You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. We are talking about some moves in the NBA, some great teams and an injured star looking to return in today's show. So let's get to it. We've got now the host of the Locked On Blazers podcast, Mike Richmond, is here in Portland, executed a trade over the weekend, bringing in Trevor Ariza, welcoming back Caleb Swanigan, and uh, adding Wenyan Gabriel, sending out Kent Bazemore, and Anthony Tolliver, of course, but the big story there, of course, is Ariza, who Mike is, I guess, slated to step into the starting small forward position. I wouldn't be so quick to, to rush him into that role. Um, is, is that what you're thinking that's going to happen? He's just going to move into Bazemore's vacated role? Yeah, I mean, they don't have any other options. That is that is the beauty of where the Blazers roster is right now. They literally don't have another choice. So if you don't like Ariza starting there, they don't have another small forward on the roster right now. So you can't even pick another option. Well, last game they did start Nasir Little and Carmelo Anthony at the three and the four, and Little played a little bit of the three in college, and Mallo, of course, has done that in his career, but both guys are best suited to, to playing at the four. Um, yeah, you could also, I guess, run with a three-guard lineup and put Anthony Simons into that starting lineup, or Gary Trent, who went crazy in garbage time the other day. There are some options, but again, in terms of just a traditional 6'9", size, small forward type player, there isn't really that many other guys. But let's talk about, first, before we talk about the player of who Trevor Ariza is, why did Portland make this trade? What was their thought process behind it? Is it purely a money-saving luxury tax uh, reducing type of a move, or do they actually think that Trevor Reese is going to help them win? I think it is primarily like 85% financially motivated. They cut about $12.5 million in salary. They basically half their luxury tax payment this year. They're, they're not good. Like they, they're a borderline playoff team in best case scenario. Um, so paying the largest, having the largest payroll in the league is kind of untenable. So they have, a decision like this was going to come, but because of the injuries, because of how they've built this roster, they kind of needed to trade pays more for someone who could play the three. So I think they won't get appreciably worse with Trevor Ariza. Um, there's a chance they get even a little bit better just by virtue of him being four inches taller than Kent Bazemore. But this was mostly about the cash. This is mostly about saving money in the, in the short term. The size is an important thing because Ian Bazemore was undersized to be playing at small forward, but starting two 34-year-olds at the three and the four is hardly the <laughs> recipe for a, a team. Let's be honest, two 34-year-olds who, despite the reputation of Trevor Reza, are not good at defense. Trevor Reza has not been good at all this season, and he, she used to be a really good 3 and D, 40% three-point shooter who could lock opponents down. He can't do either of those things anymore. So it is going to be interesting to see how, how that all plays out. But the, the size thing is important again because Bazemore is more of a guard one and two sort of a guy rather than have to throw him out there on uh, on the threes. Um, does this portend further moves, do you think, to further get under or further reduce that luxury tax bill? 
I think it suggests that they might try to do something similar with Hassan Whiteside's $27 million expiring. That's probably not as easy to move than a $19 million contract just because the pool of players to trade is obviously a much shallower. But I, I think this suggests that they think they aren't going to make some big swing and that money is certainly part of a part of the motivator. And if they could find like a replacement level player to trade Whiteside for, I think they would definitely consider it. Speaking of Whiteside, we've here at least talk of Yusuf Nurkic. Where is he in his uh, in his rehab and his potential return to the Blazers? He's getting close. He's getting close. We're we're officially we've reached Nurk Watch. Uh, I think realistically, the All Star break would be a good target for him. They don't really have a great heading into the break. They don't have a great landing spot where they have like a handful of home games where it would make natural sense to bring a guy like that back. But I would say right around the All Star break, either just before or just after, we, we will see Nurk on the floor. He really, really, really wants to play basketball this year. No doubt about it. He wants to play. He wants to get on the court and play again. So when he's ready, they're going to let him do it. Yeah, I've got no doubt that he's going to be back playing this season. But in what role? I guess is the is the question mark. Hassan Whiteside's been playing a lot of minutes. He's been. I think playing much better than he did last season. There are still times when he isn't good, and sometimes the numbers might mask over that. But how would that combination work? Like, would they be easing Nurkic back in for the remaining six weeks of this or two months of the season and playing him 20 minutes a night? Would he go back to starting and then Whiteside would start pouting? Or is that part of the, hey, where we really want to get out of the Hassan Whiteside business because Nurkic is coming back? Would there be friction there? Like, how would that combination work? You know, the the how it works between the humans is, is always is going to be tricky. I would assume minutes-wise, they would like to play Hassan only about 29 minutes a night, 29, 30 minutes a night. That would be their preference. They've had to do it more just because of the weaknesses of the roster. They don't really like to play him 36, 37 minutes. They think that's too much. So ideally, they would slide Nurk back into playing that 18, 19, 20 minutes when, he, when he's ready. And... I would assume that he starts coming off the bench, like initially he would come off the bench and then they'll figure it out from there. But the dynamic, like whether either of them sees themselves as a backup um, is a big question mark for how they got to sort things out. Yeah, that is, okay. and then Whiteside obviously bristled uh, at coming off the bench behind Bam Adebayo at the end of last season as well, and being benched for fourth quarters, and, and not that he's a long-term option, well, I doubt he's a long-term option here in Portland after his contract expires, that could have an, an impact on what they decide to do in that Certainly. area. Um, so there is that, yeah, the human part of not just the basketball, so I think we can all agree that fully healthy Yusuf Nurkic is a better player than Hassan Whiteside, he yeah. contributes more to, you know, offensively, defensively, he, he's yeah, better at plenty of times he doesn't block as many shots but that's not just what defense is about so there are lots he's of better at everything yeah ex- exactly and uh I, I, I didn't even have to mention passing because not one person in the world would ever say that uh, hassan whiteside <laughs> was a better pass than yusuf nurkic but on the other side of the injury front anything to worry about with cj mccullum is this any sort of long-term thing or just like a, a short-term uh, problem that's caused him to miss the one game so far you know uh they haven't released any information like he'll be out for or we'll talk about him again in a week um, usually, if they don't want if they don't want you to ask, they'll at least put out an injury report that says, "Hey, let's talk again next Friday, and he'll be reevaluated." They haven't done that, which makes me think we don't have any other information. But it makes me think that that he could come back as soon as Monday night against the Warriors. 
Well, it is going to be interesting to see how this Blazers team works, not only when Nurkic comes back, but when Trevor Ariza is integrated in and whether they do make that push for the eight seed or whether they're a destination for one of the millions of forwards they've been rumored to get, Daniel Gallinari or Kevin Love, maybe, who might be coming across in the next couple of weeks. Mike will have it covered for us all over on Locked On Blazers. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Thanks for having me. When you start your hiring process, you may have questions. Will you find good applicants to choose from? What about education and experience? And how will you know you've made the right hire? Indeed is here to help. Millions of great candidates use Indeed every day to find their next opportunity. You can post a job in minutes and use screener questions to help create your short list of applicants fast. Also, add skills tests to your job posts so that you can be confident in your applicants' abilities. Their library of more than 50 skills tests ranges from industry-specific skills like accounting to general aptitude tests like critical thinking. Indeed gives you the smart tools to make hiring decisions quickly and to be confident that you're making the right hire for your team. Post your job today at indeed.com slash locked on and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting. That's indeed.com slash locked on. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Offer valid through March 31st, 2020. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Warriors podcast, Charles Hamilton, is here with me. And uh, it comes on the back of the news that Stephen Curry is eyeing a return to NBA action on March the 1st. We had so many people, Charles, think, oh, well, that's it. He's just not going to play again this season, even though five months for a broken hand does seem a little bit excessive. Uh, the Warriors are shutting it down. They're just tanking. But Steph is going to come back. What should we be expecting, do you think, here with Steph returning? Are they just going to be playing him the token Paul George broken leg return of you know 20 minutes and, and resting him games? Or is he going to be just going full tilt to try and develop chemistry with guys like D'Angelo Russell? Look, what's your expectation for Steph's return in about six weeks' time? Well, if there's a happy medium somewhere between the Paul George 20 minutes and trying to see where he fits with D'Angelo Russell, I think that's what it will be. Uh, they're going to be careful, obviously. Uh, as soon as we heard that it was a February 1st reevaluation, I figured we wouldn't see him till March. And the fact that it's March 1st, I mean, is uh, right on point. And, uh, you know, how many games are left at that point? I don't have the exact number in front of me, probably 20 something. I wouldn't be surprised if. You know, he doesn't play back-to-backs, obviously, and there's some rest days in there. But I think there's enough time there left for him to just get back to playing basketball, honestly. I mean, it's a – as far as injuries go, it's kind of the – it was a bad break, but it was on the non-shooting hand. You know, it does, it's not his ankles or his knee or anything. So there's not a ton of getting back to normal with your non-shooting hand, but enough that you just want to get him out there and play and – they're really interested to see how it works with D'Angelo Russell. They only got a couple games of it earlier this year, and you know it didn't work out well. But again, it, you can't expect it to be perfect when you, they only had, you know, I think what four games together. So they are interested, but they're not going to push it too hard. The Warriors have 22 games left after March the 1st, the season ending on April 15th. So we're talking about five to six weeks of action left there. And you're right about the D'Angelo Russell fit. It was weird to begin the season. It's not like the Warriors uh, only started losing when Steph got injured. Of course, they were down big in that game against the Suns when he actually got hurt. Things were, weren't really rolling along all that well before mm. that. As for D'Angelo Russell, we've heard his name bandied about ad nauseum. They're going to be trading him, and the constant thing is oh, he's going to the Wolves. The Wolves wanted him, um, so they're going to trade him there. And there's a number of things there that just don't make sense to me with that whole situation. What would they be giving giving up uh, Minnesota in that situation? If he wanted to go to the Wolves so badly, he just would have gone to the Wolves in the first place. He wouldn't have ended up going to, to Golden State. But 
you know, with all that, do you think there's any validity to the Warriors trade? I just don't think they're going to trade him without seeing how it works with Curry and to a lesser degree, even with how it fits with Clay in there. And how has D'Angelo, you think, looked this season since he's returned from his multiple injuries? Well, you nailed it. They're not going to do anything unless, look, unless there's some deal that blows them out of the water. If they get a Lakers for uh, for Anthony Davis deal or a Clippers <laughs> for Paul George deal, obviously I think they'd pull the trigger on that. But barring something like that, they're not going to make a move. They want to see how it fits with Steph and Clay potentially if he gets any run uh, towards the end of the year. And also they want to see where their draft pick lands because if they get the number one overall draft pick, which they are currently right in the running for, I mean, they it's them in Atlanta right now with the two worst records in the league. If they get that number one overall pick and you package the number one overall pick and D'Angelo Russell, that's a whole lot more attractive than just D'Angelo Russell. And as far as Minnesota's concerned, I know it was uh, – everyone's talking about Robert Covington. They're not going to trade D'Angelo Russell for Robert Covington. No. They would want Carl Anthony Towns, but Minnesota wants to pair Carl Anthony Towns with D'Angelo Russell. So then, okay, what are you looking at then past that? Well, for me, it starts with Robert Covington, Jake Lehman, uh, uh, Jarrett Culver, first-round draft picks. It starts with a godfather-type offer that I don't think the Wolves are going to make, and the Warriors aren't inclined to to make a trade. They have no reason to trade him. Their deadline to trade D'Angelo Russell is three years away. You know, He signed a four-year deal, so they are in no rush, especially this year where they are resigned to losing. You know, They're, they're not looking to make a move to win more games or anything like that, so there is no rush uh, for the Warriors to trade him, especially to the Wolves, for something... Uh, that doesn't carry as much value as as D'Angelo Russell does. Yeah, I I agree with that completely. I just don't see why they would want to trade him, why they need to trade him. There's no salary issue there. They need to be, oh, I've got to desperately dump this money. They're not looking to improve. They're bad as it is. They were bad when he was there at the beginning of the season. There's none of these huge uh, incentives for them to make this sort of deal. And in general, more moves get made in the off-season, better moves get made in the off-season, moves that make more sense get made in the off-season. So if anything was going to happen, even then, I don't even think that's a guarantee that it's going to happen. They obviously wanted Russell. They made a move to go and get him. They haven't been able to evaluate it. So it, it just feels like so much speculation that one person says it and the other person goes, well, I heard it here. Then they well, I heard it from two people and then it just keeps compounding and compounding and the Warriors are probably just sitting there going, well, it's just, it's just not going to happen. But hey, we could both be wrong on that, Charles, as he gets traded <laughs> in the next 10 minutes and we both look like uh, both look like idiots. Of course. Um, how do you think Wouldn't be the first time. Oh, yeah, exactly. How do you think his play has been this season? Like, he was obviously that injury replacement all-star in the East last season. What have you seen from D'Angelo up close this season? Yeah, he... Um, well, first, the I think the Warriors' best-case scenario in their mind is that it works with D'Angelo Russell. He fits in perfectly, and they have a 23-year-old, you know, 20-point scorer to go with Steph and Clay and Draymond. Whether that's the case or not, we'll still have to wait and see. Uh, as far as his play goes, a little inefficient. Um, he... Wes Goldberg, my co-host, had a great point. He's got the lowest threshold for a heat check in the league. Uh, he knocks down one three, and then he'll take a thirty-five footer right after that. He's just he's ready to chuck him. But at the same time, it's he, it's a valuable skill set. The guy, a twenty-point scorer, a twenty-three-year-old twenty-point scorer who can uh, get to the rim, who has shown um, some improvement in getting to the line as well this year. Definitely, in my mind, has watched some hardened tape and, and picked up some of the tricks. Uh, of getting to the line obviously not huge numbers but compared to last year where i think he got to the line like the least of anyone in the nba uh he's definitely improved in that 
uh, you know, 37% three-point shooter. I, I mean, it's all it's all there. He's solid. He's got defensive deficiencies. His passing is something that gets overlooked. Um, he, I think he had, what, nine or ten assists the other night. Uh, he, he, he's got a great feel for the game. And one of the problems with the, the, the uh, fit with the Warriors is he's such a prolific pick-and-roll player. And Steve Kerr just absolutely hates to pick and roll. Uh, you know, he's not going to maximize D'Angelo Russell's ability in the pick and roll, uh, which we've seen most of the year. So there have been times where it's a tough fit for him, but he is fitting into the, the motion offense a little better as he's played in it more. So it, there's still evaluation going, but he, you can see the talent. Uh, it's, it's clear as day, uh, his talent. But as far as fitting into the system, he's still still working on that. Well, all NBA fans are going to be waiting for Steph to return on March 1st and see how it all works out with him and D'Angelo. And in the meantime, Charles, you'll have all of the Warriors action covered for us over on Locked On Warriors. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Yeah, anytime, man. Thanks for having me. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard of all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that your local Locked On Teams podcast is a great way for local businesses to reach passionate fans of those teams just like you. Unlike other podcasts, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with your local team, fans, and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcasts.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help you, your team, achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing. Now, let's bring in the founder of the Locked On Podcast Network and the host of the Locked On Jazz Podcast. David Locke is here with me. David, the Utah Jazz are, I'd say, the hottest team in the NBA. Milwaukee fans may disagree, but the Jazz, we were just talking about this, have won 16 of their last 18 games. Are absolutely rolling, and it's not just because of the reason that many may assume, because of a stifling defense. They're, uh, they're rolling offensively as well. No, actually, the defense has not been as good and probably still the question to be answered about this team is the defense in that stretch where they've won 16 of 18. The defense is ranked 11th in the NBA. It's the offense that is almost four points better than any other offense in the NBA. Denver's is within 3.4. But other than that, Utah's offense in that stretch is four points per 100 possessions better than anybody else in the NBA. So why is that? Because people look at Utah and go, oh, their offense sucks. They, they, they are this low-scoring team. What has changed or what is happening in this little stretch of time, this last month or so of action that's making them this dominant offensive force? Well, it's interesting to hear that, t- that people think that. Um, you know, they made every move they made in the offseason was offensive-based. Um, and so that's really what changed as much as anything. And now they probably have the best collection of shooters in the league. Um, in this recent stretch, certainly that is the case. But even if you just look across the league and you take the, I think they have four guys that are close to the top 20 and three point shooting for the season. Um, in George Niang is pretty strong. Royce O'Neal's at 44%. Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell, Boyan Bogdanovich. Uh, and they are the number one catch-and-shoot three-point team in the league. Uh, Emmanuel Moutier is is the least good three-point catch-and-shoot three-point shooter on the team at 33%. Every other player 
on the team is 38% or more on catch-and-shoot threes. Now, they're only 24th in the league in attempts because everybody wants to take that away. But when they get Rudy rolling to the rim, who's probably the biggest vertical challenge to the rim in the NBA, and they get somebody else, you know, you can't leave a shooter right now on this team. And when you do, it's ugly. And when you don't leave a shooter, it's Rudy Dunking, who in the same time period the last you know, since Jordan Clarkson joined this team 14 games ago and they added a little bit more offense to the group, Rudy Gobert is shooting 69% from the field. And in that stretch, he's averaging 16.16 rebounds a game. Yeah, and he's also upped his block rate as well during that time, which was a little bit down to begin the season. I guess it's an adjustment not playing alongside Derek Favors there as well, but he's getting back into that two, two and a half block range, which he yeah, maintained for five or six seasons. Prior to that, I think when we spoke earlier in the, the offseason, we talked about how you know you, you can't really loot, you know, leave any of these shooters alone, and that is starting to play out. Ingles started the season a little bit cold from three, but he's yeah, over this that 14-game stretch you referenced since Clarkson's arrived. He's shooting 49% from deep. O'Neal's hitting 44% of them as well. So there's multiple threats all over the place. But I guess the big question mark there is, Mike Conley, he's back. Look, does this change anything with him? Because Emmanuel Moutier was playing quite well. He was out of the rotation in that first game Conley returned. How does trying to get Conley rolling change things around? Or, or how will Quinn look to manage the return of Conley to keep things going the way they have been? The way I look at it is had the Jazz won 10 of 11, and at the time I think it would have been about 15 of 17, um, and someone announced that there was a new rule in the league that if you traded your entire G League roster, you could get a $30 million player. Like, oh, weird rule. And the Jazz have acquired Mike Conley, right? They literally, that's kind of what they did, is they acquired Mike Conley for nothing the other day. Uh, he had not been with the team. He's played. He had not played in, in 19 of 20 games. And so he is now joining this team and that's a pretty good piece. Uh, he did not play very well to open the season, but I will tell you, with the addition of Jordan Clarkson and watching Mike Conley be on the floor, and I don't know, I think he'll go eventually roll himself back toward being a starter. It's in what he's been most of his career, and you, you would anticipate that. And if the Jazz are going to be a title contender this year, it's going to be with Mike Conley giving him 30 minutes of good minutes a night. That's what they have to get. Uh, but I will say it was really interesting last night to watch Mike Conley on the floor. Their five-man groups they had on the floor were all good at all times. I mean, they ran the end of the first quarter was Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson with Tony Bradley and Royce O'Neal, which is pretty good. Their middle of the second quarter, which is kind of, you know, another time where teams are usually a little bit dead. The Jazz had Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, Rudy Gobert, and Boyan Bogdanovich on the floor for a period of time. I mean, those are pretty potent lineups to be on the floor in the middle of games when other teams are in their bench in their bench units. Yeah, that was a big uh, criticism of the Jazz. The bench wasn't wasn't really working at the beginning of the season, but Clarkson has really provided that uh, that scoring burst that they need there just to have that someone. And now, of course, Conley returning pushes yeah, it's him on the bench at the moment, but maybe it's Ingles that goes, maybe it's O'Neal that goes back to the bench. One of those guys adding an additional you know, piece into that rotation, pushing those guys at the back end of the rotation out. Um, the the Clarkson- Josh, let me, ju- let me jump in there. Okay. Like that criticism was legitimate. The bench... A play of the Jazz in the first part of the season was abysmal. Yeah, Jeff Green, and it's not his fault, but just to give him as a reference point because he has not been with the team since. Jeff Green played thirty games with the Jazz in the in the uh, in the thirty games he played. In thirteen of the thirty, he was minus eight or more. 
In 15 of the 30, he was minus seven or more. That's playing 14 minutes a night. Yeah, he was yeah, he, he was out there to try and be that, hey, I'm going to switch onto forwards and I'm going to provide defensive presence and hit some threes. But this has always been the idea with Jeff Green that he does that he can do this, but he does, never seems to do it consistently enough. And yeah, the team has obviously gotten better, whether that's the Clarkson arrival or the Green subtraction, or it's probably a combination of both of those things that has enabled this team to, to step forward. Now, David, a question I have for you here is, there is no All-Stars on this team. How many do you think they get coming up when the you know, All-Stars are announced in the next couple of weeks? I think Rudy Gobert is an All-Star. I think the coaches made a you know, pretty tragic error last year. Tragic is probably too strong a word for it, but pretty mag- you know, in the realm of basketball All-Stars. Pretty mammoth mistake last year. I don't think they make it again. I think Donovan deserves to be an All-Star. Uh, I haven't taken the time that everybody else has to do the work on it. Um, to try to figure it out. My guess is that Chris Paul gets a courtesy spot and I think deserve it. Frankly, he's been great. And I think the coaches kind of give him one last tip of the hat for his career. And then if I have the math right on that, if, if Chris Paul makes it and Rudy Gobert's on that, if I have it right, Devin Booker, Brandon Ingram, Donovan Mitchell are kind of all out there for one spot, aren't they? Yeah, that's sort of how I, I remember I did it a couple of weeks ago. I had Gobert on there. And I think I ended up giving that final spot through to Ingram with Mitchell and Booker just on the on the outside. So I think that's sort of how it's going to be looking yeah, when we get these teams announced in the next couple of weeks. I think Brandon Ingram is great, um, but I would have I I would say I think Donovan deserves that spot as much as anything, just based on team's record, right? I mean, I think New Orleans has a really good chance to to make a run here. And I think Brandon Ingram's been quite a story and he was insane against us the other night. But at some point when, you know, depending when the vote goes down, the Jazz will be second, third or fourth in the West. I, I think that that's worthy of two All-Stars. It's definitely an opportunity for those uh, for those two guys to get a spot in the All-Star game. David, thank you for jumping on Locked On NBA with me and everyone can hear all your Jazz thoughts over on Locked On Jazz and of course on the uh, on the radio announcing of the games. And I'm going to have to go listen to Locked On Fantasy Basketball to see what you say people should do with Mike Conley because that's an interesting question. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, to me, he is a, he's a pretty clear hold at this point, but we'll, uh, we'll see how that develops because he has not been good so far. And that's it for today's episode, guys. To make sure you never miss a show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify, and give us a five-star review. It goes a long way to helping other people discover this show. Find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball and the network at LockedOnNBANet on both Twitter and on Instagram. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.